Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. Good. So as Andrea said at the beginning, this is Palm Sunday. And the, the reminder for us is that this is the start of the journey to the cross. And that, you know, we quickly want to get to next Sunday, to Easter, right? Rightfully so. But that there's this journey that, that Christ goes on. He takes us on that journey with him, uh, leading up to the cross. And that the cross is that, that symbol, that there's a reason that's been kind of the mark of Christianity for so much time. That we can't get to Easter Sunday without going through the cross first. So this morning, I invite you to open your Bibles. We're not having a specific Palm Sunday message, although it is relevant and important and we want to recognize it, but open them to 1 Peter chapter 2. We finally started chapter 2 last week after about seven weeks in chapter 1. We'll be in verse 4. So 1 Peter 2 verse 4. Before we get into our text for this morning, I want to remind us of what Peter showed us in the first three verses of last week for a couple reasons. One... We've all probably had busy weeks and we're forgetful. And the others, there's quite a few people in the room who weren't here last week. And I don't want to assume that you listen to our podcast. And so you're probably going to be clueless. And each week kind of builds. That's I love going verse by verse. But that's one of maybe the downsides is it builds upon last week. And you might go, what is, what is he talking about? Whereas if you're more topical when you're preaching, then it might just be kind of a fun, different topic every week. So what Peter told us last week. He said, one of the marks of a true believer, as a, as a true follower of Christ, is there's this passion for God's word. He likens us to infants. Think about an infant. It comes out screaming from its mother's womb, and the infant's primarily screaming for one thing, for the milk of its mother. And so he tells us to long for pure spiritual milk, to long and pray for God's word. He says, but if we have sin in our lives, to get rid of it, to, to put it away, and that that can be the reason that there's not this longing and passion for God's word. We talk about this idea that when you first come to Christ, it's kind of a given that most people, that's what they have this passion. Like, I can't get enough of God's word, and I'm reading, and I'm learning, and I'm confused by some of these things. Andrea talked about Revelation in her introduction, and you know, maybe if you get Exodus and Levit- Leviticus, you get a lost, but there's this passion. But at some point, life smacks you in the face of reality, and sometimes we lose that. And so really what we looked at is that if you don't have a passion for God's word, one or two things happen. Either you had a religious experience and you don't know God at all, because that's a mark of a follower, or there's sin in your life. And Peter says, get rid of that sin. And he gives us five sins that kind of encompass all sins. And so they get rid of those to, to reignite that passion in your life. And that, that will help you fulfill that longing, that craving, just like an, an infant being able to take its mother's milk. So Peter's going to build upon that idea this week. And now he's going he's gonna to start out. There's kind of a two, couple things going on here. And I wrestled through, do I make this one message or two messages or four messages? And, and I, honestly, I don't feel great about it. I'll just tell you that on the front end. But God's word will not return void, perfectly so. But it's going to build upon this idea of the word of God and that we are living stones with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And how it is that we are to approach God's word? So we know that, that we are so long for it and crave for it, but how do we actually approach our time in God's word? And so Peter's going to encourage his, his original audience, these first century Christians who were sojourning, because they've been rejected by the world, that they have this new identity in Christ. That even though they feel that they're rejected by those around them, maybe by what was familiar to them, that in Christ they have this new identity and that they are actually privileged in the kingdom of God. 
That they're looked at as privileged in God's eyes. And in many ways, by experiencing that, so for us today, if you experience, you feel, I kind of feel like an outsider a lot of times. I kind of feel like I'm a, an exile. I kind of feel like I'm a, a sojourner, not because you're part of Sojourn Church, but as a sojourner in our city, that's actually good news. Because in a sense, that's kind of how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to kind of feel this conflict and this tension between two worlds. And so verse 4 actually begins, uh, it begins a new section, although it's building upon last week, and he's going to use a lot of Old Testament imagery. And so, uh, if you know much about the New Testament, it's constantly pointing back to the Old Testament. And so Peter's referencing back to Old Testament a lot this week to show that New Testament believers, both Jews and Gentiles, they are now a new people of God, who have come to possess all the blessings of Old Testament Israel, but by a far greater measure. And so over the next couple of messages, although we're going to take a break next week because it's Easter and it didn't just really line up as the best Easter passage, and so this week and then fast forward two weeks from now and then probably the following week, we'll, we'll, these will all kind of go together on building on this new identity that we have in Christ and the privileges that come with that. And that God chooses to use us, imperfect humans, the church, as his new temple. And even marks us as a holy priesthood who are created to make much of Jesus. And so if you didn't know this, if you're in Christ and you didn't know this before you came in this morning, you are looked at as, as a holy priest. But first, Peter's going to show us how it is we approach God's word. So he told us last week, we're going to have this longing and this craving for it. But how do we actually approach God's word? How do we fulfill that longing and that craving? So let's go ahead and look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And so point number one, how are we supposed to approach and spend time, for the next slide, how are we supposed to approach and spend time in God's word? We're going to look at the first part, really the very first phrase in verse four, as you come to him. As you come to him indicates how it is that you are to approach our time in God's word. But here's the challenge in English, and this happens frequently. It doesn't really fully impact us the same way that it would in the original languages. And so that's where things get kind of construed and confused. Andrea talked about interpretation of scripture. And here's a side note for you. The reality is, you know, we, we have to use different translations of scripture. I typically am preaching from the ESV, although I consult different translations. Some of you like the easy version, the NIV and King James. Reality is any translation is an interpretation, which is why we kind of have to do the hard work of digging and what, what was the original language. I know we don't always have time to do that, but it doesn't really translate, carry with the, the weight of the Greek word, which is the word prosergemai, which means as you draw near to God, as you approach him. This is the same word that's used in the Old Testament Greek. It was used a lot, which is known as the Septuagint, to describe how the high priest would draw near to the presence of God as they entered in the temple in what is known as the Holy of Holies. Now, I just want to assume, so you might say, what is the Holy of Holies? So we're going to do a little bit of Old Testament stuff this morning as we're looking at what Peter's telling us this week. The Holy of Holies was the inner part of the sanctuary in the, the temple, which contained the Ark of the Covenant. This is where the presence of God Dwelt. This is where the presence of God would appear. And so in, the, in front of the Holy of Holies, there was this huge veil. That's this huge curtain that separated the presence of God from the people, or from the priest, rather. And the reason is that because God is absolutely holy. 
I think sometimes we forget that in our, our modern life, but God is absolutely holy. And you and I, especially before Christ, we're sinners. We're not holy. We, we are the, the opposite. And so they learn the hard way. You can't just roll up into the Holy of Holies and, and expect just to enter the presence of God and not die. So we actually see examples of this. There's one story in the Old Testament where the Ark of the Covenant is about to fall. So I don't know exactly what it looks like, but you know, imagine they're, that you're, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and it's, it's, a, it's about to fall. So what would any of us naturally do if something's about to fall? Like we, right? We try to catch it. We try, we try to help it. So this guy put his hand up here from falling. He's struck dead. He's dead. It's like, what, what just happened? It's a warning, right? And you put a warning label on there. Like you can't just roll up in the presence of God and expect just as who you are that nothing bad or nothing's going to happen. And so they put this veil in front of it. And then once a year at Yom Kippur, the high priest would kill a goat and they would carefully and slowly walk into the Holy of Holies and offer a blood sacrifice in order to pay for the sins of the people for the entire year. Now the high temple priest was so anxious and so nervous that it tells us they would actually tie like a, a, like a rope, like imagine like a tug of war rope. They'd tie a rope around them and like, you guys are over here. I'm going to go into the Holy of Holies, you know, and so they'd take off. And then just in case they heard like a, you know, the, the body, in case he died, then they could drag the body out. Like, so can you imagine being the high priest? I mean, on one hand, you're like, I'm the high priest. Like, I've arrived. I've moved up in my vocation in life. And then it's like, oh, hey, it's your turn. It's your turn to go into the Holy of Holies. Like, what must that have been like for the priest? There's probably a little bit of excitement. Like, whew, I finally got it. But I can imagine like before a big game, if any of you ever played sports, like, I remember in high school, I played sports. I love, like, the part you run through the tunnel, but you get pumped. Like, man, this team is undefeated, but we're going to go out there. So I can imagine the priests kind of getting pumped, and all the other priests are giving pep talks, like, come on, you got this. Like, let's huddle up. But then I can also be like, Remember what happened to the last guy? <laughs> I'm, I'm about to go there. And so as he would draw nearer, as he would draw closer to the Holy of Holies, the word that he uses is a prosearch of mine. And that's the word that Peter's using here for us. You know, I can imagine it being like, okay, I'm still alive. Okay, I'm still alive. As it gets closer. And he says, this is, the, this is the same word he uses for you and I as we are to approach God's word. Now, unfortunately, it's probably no longer a safe assumption to assume that if you are a believer, that you read your Bible. Studies show us that. But I still would like to assume that if you are a believer, at least sometimes, you open the Word of God. But how do you approach your time in the Word of God? How is it that you approach it when you read it? If you're like me, you start with coffee, which is the most important part. Okay, that's a joke, but I do start with coffee. Otherwise, I'm not functioning at all. I sit in our swivel chair. I turn on the lamp. I say a short prayer. I just start reading. All right now, I'm going through uh, the Gospel of Mark with a couple of guys here at the church, and so a lot of times, that's what I'm reading right now. So it's Open up to the next chapter and, you know, just kind of start reading it. But Peter, once again, has used the same word for how the, holy, the, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies for how we are to now enter and approach God's word. So he's painting a picture for us. And the picture he's painting is this is how you are to approach God and his word when, when you go to him. So how is it exactly? The same way the high priest approaches the Holy of Holies. And so, Sojourn, if I'm honest, I can't speak for you. This is not how I normally approach the presence of God. This is not normally the, the posture that I take as I get ready in the mornings to read God's Word. 
I can't say that I take it as seriously as the Old Testament priests who were drawing near to the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. But this is what Peter's implying. This is how we are to approach it. This same phrase is used multiple times in the book of Hebrews. I'm just going to read one of those for us. I think maybe I, either I got my slides out of order or the guy doing the slides got them out of order. But um, the same phrase is used multiple times in Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so what Peter is pointing to, and what the author of Hebrews points to, is that all believers, those who are in Christ, including us, can now with confidence draw near to the presence of God. Something that at one time was only reserved for the high priest, and, and, and they may enter it in, and they, and they may actually die, because they had this fear of death, because they weren't sure what happened. Through Christ, we now have confidence that we can approach God, that we can draw near to God. Now, God didn't change. God's just as holy as he's always been. But God, through Jesus, made access. He made a way that it wasn't for just the high priest, and it wasn't about this fear of death, but we all are now able to have access to God. So what's the difference? Why are we able to enter into God's presence with confidence? Anyone? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. This is when you're like, it's okay to get the Sunday school answer. Jesus, right? Nine times out of eight, Jesus. Jesus is the reason. The veil in the temple that, that once separated the priest from the presence of God was ripped in half by Jesus on what's coming up on Good Friday. It says the veil was torn in two. Now, if I repeat any of this on Friday night, because I'm the one giving the message, just act like you haven't heard before. But that it was torn in two, and because of Jesus' blood, there's no longer this separation between us and his presence. Because of Jesus' blood, through of Jesus, you and I can safely, securely enter into the presence of God. We can confidently draw near, as the author of Hebrews tells us. And so Peter says, when you come to him, when you search your mind, draw near to God through his word, with confidence, with reverence, and with faith. And if we do this, if we actually draw near to God, and this, this posture, this is what will happen. I don't know about you, but many people, and I'm guilty of this, we view our time in God's word as more of an intellectual exercise. Okay? Because that's what we do with most books. Like, I want to I learn something so you sit down and if you're like me, you're underlining, highlighting, and I want to have all the facts, right? So when I show up at my table or with, with two other guys and we're in the Gospel of Mark, like, I want to know the answer when we, we throw the answer out there. Like, I'm studying, right? But if we do this, our time in God's word, it just becomes, first and foremost, an intellectual exercise. Now, I'm not saying we don't want to learn. I'm not saying we don't want to study and realize these things. But if we are pursuing God with confidence that we're going to enter his presence, that will not be, first and foremost, our posture. That will not be the motivation behind our time in God's word. First and foremost, it will become an act of worship. And so we don't read the Bible so we can just learn about it. That's part of it. But we read it so we can draw near to God. You're reading God's word. God who is holy. God who is perfect. And so when we read his word, I know that there's parts that are confusing and there's times in our lives that we just don't feel like reading it. That's why I say force yourself to read it because like almighty God, the God of heaven who created you and everything around you, like he spoke to us. It's right there in his word. And so we go to the word of God, not just to draw out, but to draw near. Draw near to God. We go to the Word of God not just to grow knowledge, but to grow our worship. 
We grew to the word of God, not just to know things about him, but to know more of him. That we want to spend time with our father. As a sojourn, how are you reading God's word? You know we value God's word here, but how are you reading God's word? It's so much bigger than just studying it. We're actually drawing near to the presence of God as the high priest did with the Holy of Holies. Now here's one of the unfortunate things. I've been in church for uh, 36, well, probably 37 years. If you count the years I was in my mom's, or months, not years, I was in my mom's belly. We'd be on some talk show or something. But it's entirely possible to study the Word of God, to know God's Word, know all the facts, all the details. This is the danger of going to Bible college or to seminary without drawing near to God, without looking more and more like Jesus. Maybe I was that guy in seminary. I really don't know. None of my seminary peers are here. But I definitely saw other guys. Maybe I was being a little judgmental. But other guys who were puffed up. Like, they knew it. They already had the Greek and the Hebrew. And I'm like, I'm struggling with these classes. of horrible languages. I'm trying to figure But they had all the knowledge. But you wouldn't see the love that we looked at a couple weeks ago, which we're called to do. And so it's possible to study and have that and puff yourself up, but not to actually draw any nearer to Christ. But if we are going to be a church that God actually uses. And that's my prayer. Uh, we were at that meeting that Andrea mentioned with all these other pastors. And we got churches of all sizes. We got people doing intentional house church. We got where we are. We got people who are in the larger churches in the city. And, and we kind of talk about how is God going to use us? And I, said, I just want us to be the slice of pie that God wants us to be in, in his picture, what he's doing. But if he's actually going to use us, it begins with prayer, which is why we value prayer, and by drawing near to God through his word. That's how God's going to use our church. Point number two, this is where it's kind of it kind of shifts a little bit, is that Jesus is the foundation of our faith. We're going to pick up the second part of verse four and then read verse five. It says, A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, Peter calls Christ a living stone, and he actually quotes three Old Testament prophecies that reference this, and in order to really understand his imagery and where he's going, we need to, we need to look at those. And so you don't have to turn to these, but you can uh, jot them down your notes, the references if you want, and then the words, whatever I'm not blocking, will be behind me on the screen. The first is Isaiah 28, verse 16, which says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then again in Isaiah 8, 14. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And so we see the fact that Christ is the living stone, which is showing his superior to, the, to the, what was the once Old Testament temple, right? So it kind of builds on that idea again, which is made of dead stones, just, right? Have you ever seen a stone that's living? No, they're dead stones, but the Christ is the living stone. And it reminds Christians that we no longer need to approach God the way that we used to approach him. Because, once again, Jesus has made access and has made a far better way. And in God's sight, Jesus was not rejected, but rather he was chosen and he was honored. 
So Jesus is God's chosen and honored stone. And so we see it contrasted, contrasted with the rejection of humans, right? That, that, that they rejected Jesus and that we rejected Jesus. And there's an allusion to the resurrection and exaltation of Christ. And so Peter's really referencing two building projects. We see the Jews and God. Now the Jews had plans to build their own temple, which did not include Jesus. So they rejected God's chosen cornerstone. Acts 4, verses 10 through 12. It says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. The, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And so regardless the Jews rejected God's chosen cornerstone, verse 12 tells us this. There is salvation in no one else. Right? It's popular to say, oh, we're all on this journey and we're all just taking different paths to get there, right? Like you're taking I-5, I'm taking 205, you're taking Highway 99. Like, no, there's one path to Jesus. And so while we respect other religions, and there's even some groups I've been part of, of interfaith things, how we work together, it's, it's not the same, right? And so there's salvation in no one else, and Jesus continues to be rejected today. Does he not? People refuse to believe who Jesus is. They refuse to believe he's the only way to God. I mean, how exclusive is that, right? In a city of inclusivity, like, that's not very inclusive, right? There's, there's times where I think it's totally okay to offend our culture, and that's one of them, okay? I understand we'd be friendly in certain areas, and we want to be contextual and look like the culture and reach the culture, all those things. But this is one area we cannot compromise. We can do it in love. We don't have to beat them over the head with it. But we can lovingly say, look, this is not what I see in Scripture. When I talk to my Muslim friends when I lived in India, I had to tell them the same thing. Oh, yeah, we're, we're worshiping the same God. I said, no, brother, we're not. We're not. It says, Jesus is a, is a jealous God. He's the only God. He's the only way. People today create their own religions, whether they call it that or not. They create their own temples. They create their own priests. Oftentimes it's themselves. And even many professing Christians believe there are multiple paths and ways to God and that it is wrong this is for my millennials, my fellow millennials, and Gen Z. Many believe it's wrong to tell people that Jesus is the only way to truth and life. It's like C.S. Lewis said, either Jesus was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Here's the reality. Everyone must decide. Which is why, you might say, why was this little card in my seat this morning? I know it might be uncomfortable, but we're encouraging you, we're, I'd say we're challenging you to invite people to Easter. You might say, what's so special about Easter, aside from the obvious, <laughs> Jesus came back. Um, even in our culture, our post-Christian, secular, post-modern, whatever you want to call it, even in our city, people are more willing to show up to a service. And so I feel we lean into that and embrace that. And say, if they're willing to come on that day of all days, you know, my commitment to you is I'll make sure they hear a clear gospel presentation. If this message isn't good, I promise next week will be. But this is why we're encouraging you to invite people to Easter and praying for those who show up. We don't want to just fill the room with a bunch of warm bodies or cold bodies. We don't just fill the room with a bunch of Christians who are from other churches. We want to fill the room with people who have never clearly heard the gospel or who have never had a chance to respond or need to hear it one more time. And maybe that's their time. Because we want everyone to have the opportunity to decide. 
And they can decide for themselves. Was Jesus a madman or was he something was he something else? Or is he actually who he says? So who is Jesus? That's what we want. Our third and final point this morning. This church, a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. So verse 5, it begins in the Greek text with two words. Meaning, even you yourselves. Meaning, even you are living stones that are being built into a spiritual house. It further emphasizes the fact that these humble believers, these sojourners who he's talking to, they, like Christ, have become living stones precious to God. And so believers, we are stones in the new living temple of God. We see this in the phrase, you yourselves are being built up. This should be encouraging to us. Because regardless how dark the days get, regardless how dark the church's circumstances get, how how we might feel and seem irrelevant in our city, in our culture, no matter how difficult our suffering gets in our city, in our nation, in our world, that God is always with us and he's building us up, that God will never leave us nor forsake us. We might feel like it, but remember as we've, as we've looked, I get all my different series we're going through, but if you've been with us long enough that it's a momentary affliction that we're experiencing. And so even in this part, if we feel that way, that the reminders, God's not going to leave you. That this, is, this, this might feel like hell on earth, and it might be, but it's just momentary. It'll, it'll pass, it'll fade. And so this is what we hold on to in the good times, and this is what we hold on to in the bad times. As we sojourn through life and things seemingly increasingly get harder and harder, this is what we return to, that, that God is moving, that God is working, we're holding fast onto that truth. Now, we take gathering as God's people today, what, what, kind of what we're doing, this is one form, we also do it in other forms, on, uh, some of us on Tuesday nights, some of us on Wednesday nights, but we've kind of got it where we take it light, lightly, right? just kind of flippantly. We do it a couple times a month, unless you're the pastor, then you have to be here every week. But what this means is when we gather, a key component of what we're called to is that God is there with us. Right? We're talking about how we approach God's word, but how do you approach the gathering? Now, I'm not expecting you to do this. I'm just being transparent because I like to be transparent. And we all have our idiosyncrasies. I think that's the right word. We all have our little oddities. I'm kind of weird. But one of the things that I like to do, and it's not just because I'm a pastor because I've done this for years, but on Saturday nights, I like to get prepared for Sunday morning. Because I know that Sunday morning can be stressful when you have three kids. <laughs> and I know that things may not always go the way you want Sunday morning. So I set out my clothes and my, my boots and my socks and everything. I got all ready to go. Because I know the way I want to approach this. I get to interact with you. And then someone might come in our midst or someone, one of you might come in and like, you've had a hard week. I want, to be, I want to be ready to love on you, care for you, to be there for you. And so when we gather that God is with us and that every single one of us is kind of the key, we're all a small section of the new temple of God, that, that body of Christ. And so that means when we see someone come to Christ, what we're praying for this Easter is they too become a living stone because God's not done with his work. And so if you're in Christ, you're like, we're already part of that building, but as we see new people come to follow Christ and give their life, that they also get added to that, that they're part of the construction project. And so Peter's clearly identified the the, the new temple where God dwells in his people because we're part of something that's much larger than ourselves. But he says not only are we God's temple, we're also a holy priesthood. Hang with me just a minute, we'll be finished. Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. It says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. 
Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is encouragement in these verses, that as you keep coming to Christ, through your worship, through your prayer, through your praise, you are continually, collectively, being built up into the spiritual temple, being built up into what God wants us to be. This speaks to one of our values as sojourn, family. As a church, we are not like family. We are family. And if you say, that's not my experience, I would say, then you've not allowed it to be your experience. And participation in the church family is not an option. Like, God doesn't give us that option. We, we, we might pose that as an option, but God doesn't give us an option to, to participate in the family. It's, it's not like whether or not we're going out with friends on Friday night, right? I'm an extrovert, but even the older I get, I find myself like kind of with some introverted tendencies. Like, I had an invite the other day to go to a cookout, and I thought... My wife agreed to, for me to go, and she couldn't even go herself. And I was like, send her a text outside of the group text. Like, I don't, I don't know if I want to go. Like, I just kind of want to stay home tonight. So, but that's not what this is like. It's not like, oh, I can go or do I not? We're like, no, we're called to participate, to be part of this thing that God has called us to together. A church family is not the same as a social club. Fellowship with other Christ followers is the calling of every Christian as we are created for community. Even if you're the most introverted of introverts. And you think, man, I can do it alone. God still called you to do it in another way. In some ways, you have to maybe even fight for that. And because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus, we are now blood relatives. For the longest time, I would say that our values are gospel family mission. And then when I got to the family part, I would explain that you know, it goes deeper than our, our blood relatives. But it really wasn't until this week that I was like, no, it's because we are blood relatives. That is the blood of Jesus. It's not our blood that we got from our ancestors, from our parents, but through the blood of Jesus, we are now brothers and sisters who are joined together, and that this is our spiritual ethnicity. So we see this verse, it gives us explicit statement of the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. In other words, through Jesus, there's no longer an elite priesthood. This priesthood entered into the Holy of Holies. Like now we all get to be the guy with the rope tied around us, except for we don't have to worry and fear in the same way. That we all have access to the presence of God, and that all who come to Christ are now looked at as holy in His eyes, that we are saints. And as a result, we can continually draw nearer and nearer to the presence of God. It talks about sacrifice here. Jesus has already offered the once and for all sacrifice of atonement in himself. And so now our sacrifices are in praise and honor and worship to him. And so Peter again points to the purpose of the church in the world. We have been set apart. That's why we're looking at sojourners, as exiles. <clears throat> to serve the presence of God as priests. I've got a cousin who's a Catholic priest. And I was like, man, I'm a priest too. And they talk about saints. I'm like, there's a lot of saints in my church. You know, like, because in Jesus, what Christ has done. And that we're to make much of the world through Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're called to all year round. But especially this time of year, we've got that opportunity where people's ears might be turned up just a little bit more. They know that's coming. Why do you do those things? Why do you call a day of a God dying good? We have these opportunities this week. And so as you draw near to the presence of God, as you spend time in his word, think how it is that you posture yourselves. Once again, I usually just start with coffee, I say a quick prayer, and I, and I, I, I just jump in. But maybe this week, maybe this week you say, no, I'm going to try something different. Maybe you say, I want to start out, and just, maybe you just want to get on your knees. And maybe you just start in silence. And then maybe just enter God's presence with a holy awe and reverence. 
Because transparently, that's not how I normally do it. I rarely do it that way. So I'm not saying look at me, but I'm saying, what would it look like? I bet it would revolutionize, we'll call it our tradition of the quiet times. I bet it would revolutionize our time in God's word. So church, let me pray for you, and then we'll respond this morning. Father, God, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, for making a way that we could have a right relationship with you. God, I pray that we would continue to crave and long for your word. God, even when it's uncomfortable, God, you would help us wrestle through and that we could look more and more like you. God, that we would, we would approach you with confidence because of Jesus, but that we would approach you with an awe and reverence, still remembering that you are holy. And God, that we are looked at as holy and right only because of you. God, that's what we want to invite people to this Easter season. God, I pray that you would put people's faces, names on their hearts and minds right now. God, that person at work, that neighbor, that classmate, that friend, that family member, that they need to invite. She would give them boldness to do that. And God, the invitation is just simply come and see. Come and see what it's all about. Come and see the event, the change. All. God, we give you this time of response. In your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.